0: Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This highly practical podcast series explores HR and management hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Brought to you by Actors Software, our aim is to build a better workplace for people. The HR Uprising is about collaborating and supporting each other to build the confidence and skills to rise up to each challenge and deliver real, lasting business value. You can find out more at hruprising.com or join our LinkedIn community. Now, introducing your host, chartered psychologist, best selling author, entrepreneur, and speaker, Lucinda Carney.
1: welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host Lucinda Carney and this week is one of our real life HR stories. I'm really pleased that Ruth George is joining me today and she's going to share with us her a little bit about her background and her career and now she's been an independent consultant running her own business for the last 10 years and we'll hear a little bit more about that as well. So Ruth thank you so much for joining.
2: Thank you for asking me. It's um A great pleasure to be finally on the HR Uprising podcast, heard all about it, so looking forward to it.
1: (laughs) You're really welcome. So, I guess, I mean, it's really about, it's all about you today, Ruth. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your your career history, if you like, in terms of HR, how you got into it?
2: Yeah, I, well, I didn't um, have a sort of a purposeful entry into HR. I kind of, I always say to people, I fell into HR. Uh, so I, I did a degree in, in languages originally and when I graduated I knew what I didn't want to do but I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do and so I ended up temping over the summer and um, I ended up getting placed in the, what were then called personnel departments and I thought oh this is quite interesting, I might quite like this. So then I was asking well the next holiday cover, can you find me another personnel department role? And I did that for a few weeks over the summer after graduating. And then I decided, do you know what, I might be interested in this as a career. So I um, asked, please, can I come and do a week's work shadowing? And um, so they they said yes. (laughs) So I thought I better do this so that I spent a week following her around and meeting all different people from the business and learning about HR um, in their sort of world. And they offered me a job at the end of the week. So I thought, well, I should I should take this. This is a good company, you know. And and, and, um, so I kind of bit their hand off and said yes. And um, now when I look back on it, I, I, you know, the beautiful benefit of hindsight, but um, part of the reason I think they wanted to offer me a role was because they knew that I spoke fluent French and they were planning Simon Wolfson, who's now the head of Next, but he was sort of a more junior uh, sales director at the time, was planning to open a store in Paris. And so they wanted somebody that was a French speaker could, could go over and they, they sent me to Paris for three months. So I was like, I wow. you know, just graduated. I think, wow, and and using your degree. in Paris yeah so it's great to use my languages and I got to work with they were using Ernst & Young as their consultants on that project so you know that was a good experience as well and that was a really great exposure unfortunately um, their store did not work out in Paris um, so about 18 months or so later I then had to go back because we did a big restructuring in redundancies which obviously wasn't quite such a nice thing to be involved in but that was my first experience of dealing with redundancies and having to do that by abiding by French employment law and collective agreements and all the rest of it was a very very steep learning curve for me but obviously then later on in life you think wow that was a really good experience and it was quite stressful at the time but you know great to to get that kind of exposure so So, yes I fell into HR yeah. completely by
1: accident yeah but and, and isn't it great to actually, to actually get to use your language there Did, so was the role a sort of generalist role because it sounds like you've got recruitment experience and you know a re- restruct- redundancy experience in that role was it what was the sort of day job yeah the
2: way that they structured HR at next and this is very common for a lot of re- retailers is they have a head office HR function and a retail HR function so I was to begin with working in the head office HR function because it was Simon Wolfson the sales director this was his sort of baby and he wanted to go and open a store in Paris and prove that it could be done over there Um, and so I was working for that part of the business but uh, very much generalist in the sense that you know yes it was a store but we had to go through all the usual sort of recruitment processes which were very different in France I remember One of the ways they selected was through a graphologist. Now, I've never heard of that before, but it's very common in France. And so I'm talking, you know, back in the 1990s now, mid to late 90s. um, They would have everybody send CVs, but with a covering letter, which is handwritten. And they have a graphologist, once they've done an initial sift, go and look at that graphology and then make some recommendations as to who they should. Taken a second cut of sifting, so that was like. And I, I, I was then talking to the HR people back in the UK, and they were very against
1: this. Absolutely, you can't they asked do for the that horoscopes as well. <laughs> how can yeah? How
2: can you select somebody on their handwriting? I said, I know, I know, but 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 the thing is, we did an initial cut of the CVs, and then we you know selected on graphology, and then we interviewed these people, and you know the the four or five adjectives the graphologists had written at the top of their CVs really came out in the interviews how stupid I have is that it. so but that's the one and only time I've I've had experience of graphology but that was a completely <laughs> curveball I didn't expect
1: absolutely so so you worked at Next for about three years I think this, I, was, was, I that- was
2: there about four years in total so they sponsored me to do my CIPD qualifications Great. and I, I was involved in this lovely project um in in Paris but it, it was a bit like um It was a bit like a big brand, you know, say if Chanel was coming to the UK and they said, we're going to open our first flagship store and we're going to open it in London. And where are we going to open it? We're going to open it in Croydon shopping centre. And you'd be like, why? Why are you doing that? And it was the same for next. They opened it in a place called Creté Soleil, which is in the southeast of Paris, not a particularly nice area. Great big shopping centre, which we're used to in the UK but not necessarily the right footfall in terms of what they were. It and really that's did. part of the reason why it didn't work out. But yeah, four, four really good years at Next. And then I, after doing that project, I was involved. I was, I was the, um, what was I called? Personnel officer, I think I was. Retail personnel officer for the South. Yeah. Basically what that meant was sitting at a desk. And I didn't have a computer. Only the secretary was allowed to have a computer. I sat at a desk with a phone. And I waited for any phone calls from any of the stores in their south region. And they would ring up and say, oh, my God, we think so-and-so from the stockroom is see- stealing uh, merchandise. Uh, what do we do? And, and I had to go through the whole employee relations piece there. And that was a massive learning curve as well. You know, learning how to advise correctly on investigations and disciplinaries and appeals and all of that good stuff. So my four years at NEXT... I look back on really fondly because I got such a good grounding yeah. in all of the kind of the HR basics and loads of recruitment, obviously, in retail as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So was that all telephone based? You were just answering calls and advising over the phone?
2: Yeah. So they would, you know, this was before email and instant messaging and all of that kind of stuff so they would you'd you'd have the store manager ring you and say we've had this issue what do I do Um, you know and advising them over the phone and then they would ring you in the adjournment of the disciplinary before they took any action to get advice on what action to take and then, yeah, occasionally I did visit the stores, but just because of the shift, you know, in a big retailer like that, employee relations volumes are huge. Yeah. So it's just coming through all the time. So you can't really do it on an out and about face to face basis, you know,
1: There's Na- new- nowadays
2: we'd be doing all of that on a Zoom, wouldn't we? Yeah. But, of course, Zoom didn't exist back then.
1: No, you didn't even have a computer, it's hard to remember, isn't it? I'm <laughs> showing my age there. <laughs> I know, tell me about it. So uh, so then you moved on from um, from Next, you moved on to Fujitsu. Yeah,
2: right? so yeah. the reason I left Next um, was because I've in my career, I, I've always moved on and moved into different sectors each time. And um, I got passed over for a promotion at Next. And I was really annoyed about it. And I thought, I'm going to look for a job. Um, And I was wanting to move down to the London area because I had a boyfriend in London at the time. And um, so what happened was I I looked around and I got a job with Fujitsu. And again, that was because of my languages, because I was what they called um, Europe South HR officer, I think I was called. So um, looking after their operations, some of the head office operations, they were based in Bracknell but also lots of their European offices that were too small to have their own dedicated HR person. And so I was looking after Italy and Spain and France and Portugal and some of the Benelux countries. So that was a really good experience. And then I started to do a lot more travel because of the nature, you know, they were some places they were setting up and then somebody over there to help with recruitment. Sometimes it was employee relations issues. Um, So I had a couple of years at Fujitsu, and that was a brilliant experience. And then I moved on again. And the reason for moving on the second time was um, we did a merger. Fujitsu merged with Siemens Computers, a German computer company. And Fujitsu is Japanese-owned. And um, I was the secretary for the European Works Council. So I was going around with the VP of HR, um, sort of consulting on this big merger Which was fascinating, and um, I was flicking through. Back in the day, used to get a paper copy of Personnel Management, and at the back there would be loads of adverts for jobs. And I was not—I wasn't looking for a job, but I was flicking through, and I saw this job title: European HR Manager. And I saw this paragraph describing it, and I thought, "Hmm, I could do that. I reckon I could do that." But then I thought, "No, we're just about to do this merger." This could be a fantastic opportunity with the merger. So what I did is I went to my boss, who was the HR manager, and I said to him, "Look, um, I've applied for this role, but um, I, you know, wasn't really looking. And I've got through the interview process, and they've offered me the job, but I don't know whether to take it because maybe there's some fantastic opportunities." That will come out of the merger with Siemens and I'm really excited about the merger and he said to me well we just don't know we just don't know and he sort of didn't give me any kind Anything of to stay for confidence I thought oh now I am going to take it because I wanted you to be saying no stay stay yeah. this is what we'll do and we'll do this together but he didn't do that so lack of inspiration there yeah off I went and I went I moved uh, so I was working in Bracknell and then I moved to a company called Travelport, which is not a name that people will be familiar with. It's sort of a business-to-business operator. So it's travel technology um, for the the travel industry. So uh, airline reservations, car hire, hotel bookings. Obviously, they're not going through a good time of it at the moment. It's really, really tough for them at the moment with COVID. But when I was there, they were absolutely booming. And um, I was the European HR manager, and so we were just doing so much merger and acquisition work so I was I had four years there and they were in, in many ways they were my favorite four years of my career because I was kind of young no no you know commitments in terms yeah. of marriage or or children or mortgage or any of those things yeah And I was very ambitious and I was getting sent all over the place. And I, you know, moved into an EMEA role um, and sort of progressed up. And it was really, really exciting. And I got loads of cheapy experience through doing that because I just, um, that's what I was doing, you know, kind of all day long, day in, day out. It's like, oh, we're buying this company in Denmark. Oh, no, we're going to acquire this distributor in Dublin. Oh, no, we're going to go acquire this business in Madrid. And and it was really exciting So I had a fantastic time, but um, basically I burned out. (laughs) I just had a massive burnout after four years where I was getting up at the crack of dawn, getting a red-eye flight somewhere, going in a taxi from the airport to the office, not seeing the daylight for most of the day, going back on a late flight or spending a night in a hotel room on my own. And after four years of doing that, and it was non-stop and I was working very, very long hours. I just I just kind of burnt myself out. Mm. Um, and at that time I'd met um I had a new boyfriend, um, who's now my husband, and I had said to him, I'm, I'm gonna go traveling around the world. I'm just gonna take a year out and I'm gonna go traveling because life's too short. And uh I've traveled to all these places but never actually seen them properly, yeah. you know. And so he said, um, oh, I might do that as well, because he was he's a lawyer. He's feeling a bit burnt out himself, blah, blah, blah. So I said, well, you can come with me, but this is my itinerary. And this <laughs> is where I'm going. So, you know, and he kind of actually persuaded me to change my itinerary a little bit. But we went on a trip around the world um, and we did that. We were planning to do it for eight months. We only did it for six months because when we got to Australia, we had a car crash and he um, was driving and smashed all his scapula and was in a sling. And then we carried on for a few days and we went to Luru and we had a, a dawn hike in the Olgas, which are near the Luru. And I slipped and fell and twisted my ankle. And so then I had a broken ankle and he was in a sling and we still tried to carry on. And we went to Cairns and we had a phone stay on the Great Barrier Reef where he was pushing me in a wheelchair. because I had my leg in plaster by then oh with a sling. And then we thought, hmm. I think we're going to have to admit defeat here and go home. So um, luckily our travel insurance, um, you know, covered us to, to get back and we kind of recovered from our from our injuries. Um, and then, of course, the reality hit and it's like, crikey, I need to get a job. <laughs> I need to get a job. And so then I moved sector again um, yeah. and I got a job in the city uh, working for an insurance broker. So I joined them as, as head of HR but then my boss the HR director left um about six months after I joined so I then got promoted to being HR director looking after the whole piece and this is for an insurance broker in the city so I'd never worked in the city before and didn't really uh didn't didn't really get the The whole kind of the bubble that it's in yeah Um, and so that was that was a steep learning curve as well. I, I was the only woman on the board, so I just sat in the boardroom with all these men in pin, literally in yeah. pinstripe suits around yeah. the table with me, um, feeling a bit of an imposter, you know, thinking, "What the hell am I doing here? Why, well, you know, this isn't this wasn't part of the plan." But but um, yeah, I just had to learn really quickly. We we were becoming. FCA regulated so we had to go through the whole thing of proving that we could get approval for for regulation. We put in a massive learning management system to get everybody accredited so we could demonstrate um, people's qualifications and expertise. Uh, we had a whole massive stuff thing go on with the pension scheme as well. So I had to deal with the pen- the, the pensions ombudsman because um, we're doing a merger with another firm and different pension schemes and different levels of contribution rate and all the rest of it. So there was there was loads of stuff going on. Um, and that was a brilliant experience. Um by which time I think I'd got married at that point and then I got pregnant, and then um we were living in a one bedroom flat in Docklands and I was pregnant and we were both doing these big jobs in the city and we just sort of went hmm how's Not this sure. going to work then yeah. and that's when we moved out to Hertfordshire so I've been in Hertfordshire for 15 years now I've now got two children so I've got a 14 year old and a 12 year old Um but we had never we didn't know Hertfordshire so neither of us come from Hertfordshire um, and we were both Uh, commuting into the city um, from from there every day and then I um, had the baby and uh, decided that I wasn't going to go back to that role and had a little bit of time out Um, and then after about 13 months when my daughter was 13 months old I was sort of crawling the walls a bit and thinking I need something I need to do something Um, and I got a job with the home retail group which doesn't exist anymore but then it was Argos and Homebase and i was the hr lead for home base for head office so i i took a, a drop in terms of career so I, I was no longer an hrd i was reporting into the hrd but i think that's just something that often happens with women mm. when they have a family um
1: was and, that a conscious uh, thing to take that have less pressure or did you just feel yeah, like that it
2: was it was a really really tough time Lucinda because I I had spent you know I'd invested a lot of time in my career in getting to the position that I was in and then I had this baby and um, suddenly my world kind of changed overnight and I I thought I, I don't know whether I can carry on operating at that level with the young baby and we, we, we thought about it for a while and we contemplated we, we could get a full-time nanny and we could both carry on doing what we're doing. But that we just decided that wasn't the right thing for us. But, you know, on the flip side, I know lots of people that have done that and it's absolutely worked for them. So I think you just have to, you know, you have to go with your gut instinct and what's right for you as a family. And, and so...
1: It was very... Yeah. Particularly, I suppose, the role that you were in, if it was in the city, so you've got the commute and it was very male-dominated... And I mean, it still is very culturally different, isn't it? That sort of area. Um, But you so did you actually go back post maybe into that role or did you decide? No, I I didn't. And then I had
2: a little bit of time out. And when my daughter was about 13 months old, um, that's when I got the job at home retail group, which was. And then what happened with that was interesting. And I think, again, has changed in the subsequent years because there's just a lot more awareness about flexibility and things. But I was thinking, oh, I'll, I'll find a part time job. And, of course, part-time didn't exist for what I was doing. You just couldn't do it on a part-time basis. So then I thought, um, I know what I'll do. I'll apply for full-time roles, and then I'll see if they'll offer me part-time. So I ended up applying for these full-time roles and got two offers and went to both of them and said, I don't want to work full-time. Can I do three days a week? Knowing full well they'd never agreed to that, but then they both offered me four days a week and so i ended up taking up taking the role at home retail group on four days a week um but the twist with that was of course i was doing a full time job but only it, getting paid four days, four days a yeah. week for, and and you know my friday my day off with my daughter was sort of spent with one eye on the blackberry just keeping it and i had a big team and and i don't know it was just yeah. It was just tricky. Um, I'm very proud that when I was there, that I instigated a job share for one of my key HR manager roles. So I had um two um two women in my team that had young children, and they approached me about a job share. Um, and I facilitated that and we we had, you know, that they were supporting the commercial department, which was sort of the biggest and the most complex of the of the verticals that we had in the business with the commercial director that was um you know you had to be on your stuff for her so it was really great that I could then say actually I've got two people they can job share and they can support you and she was happy to to give that a trial and the trial was done and it was successful so we then made that a permanent arrangement and then what happened was I got pregnant with my second child Um, And about a month after I got pregnant, one of the two job shares got pregnant with her second child. And a month after that, the other job share got pregnant with her second child. And I was like, what happened? Did you kind of just both ring your husbands on the same (laughs) night and go, right, we're on tonight? But it was it was really weird. So I went off on maternity leave um, and they were sort of following me a couple of months um later but of course what it meant for them was that job share then could be covered and then they could come back you know as a job share uh,
1: so okay. it the timing quite was well. quite
2: fortuitous really so yeah so that, that was my time at, at, at home base and then basically what happened is I had my my son um and before I went on maternity leave I was already starting to work on a big restructure project um and as can often be the case when you sit in HR is you can sort of uh, sometimes
1: manoeuvre
2: yourself. yourself in the right direction, shall we yeah. say. So um, home based and I parted company on very, very amicable terms. And um, I had a two year career break. So I was at home with the kids for two years, um, which was great. But by the end of two years, I was thinking it's, it's best for them and for me if I do something. Mm. Um, and again, I was just sort of itching to get back into doing something. But I had this dilemma because having had that dilemma after the first child and wondering what should I do and should I do part time mm. and sort of thinking, you know, I could just about do that with one child. But could I do that with two? I'm not sure. But I've got all this years of experience in HR and it's a shame to waste it. And that was the point I decided to go independent.
1: So you went from not working. At all, so does that mean you were able to build it up quite slowly? It wasn't a big bang, or how did you go back and well, set yourself up? I mean,
2: if if I were to go back and say what would I do differently, um, when I when I left home base, it wasn't part of my plan to go freelance. So now when I speak to people that are thinking about going independent, and they ring me and they ask me for advice. I say, you know, lay the groundwork, get all your LinkedIn up to date, keep your networks warm, all of the rest of it. But my networks had kind of gone cold Mm because I'd been out of the workplace for two two years. And when I started, my kids were very, very young. Um, They weren't in full-time school. So, yeah, it started incredibly part-time. And then I just kind of grew it over, you know, over the years. And I've been doing it for 10 years now, would you believe
1: So, um, do you specialise anything in particular in, in your independent consultancy?
2: Um, I, I'm well. I'm a generalist by background. Um, I do at the moment. Of course, it's been a lot of change, restructure, mm. um, and unfortunately redundancy work. Um, that's just a sign of the times. Mm. I guess during COVID, um, but I've done. I, I do a lot of change and transformation work, and I guess that's from my time doing just so much MA and A and cheapy stuff that um, I've got really good grounding. And I love I love big transformation projects. So um, I do a mix for, for corporates and SMEs. So I've got um, a few clients to so the sort of big corporates that, and obviously they have their own HR team. Um, but sometimes what they want is somebody with a particular area of expertise, especially around things like TUPi, because if they've got people in the team that have maybe never managed a TUPi process before and they want their handholding. And I, I really like those projects because partly I'm going in there to manage the project, but partly I'm going in there to coach the HR people and to bring them up to speed so that the next time they, they can do it on their own. Yeah. You know, they can do it by themselves. And I love I love that side of it as well.
1: So you don't kind of go in and support on your own, you're often supporting teams being part of a team. Yeah, it's sort of reasons.
2: being like a the external consultant, but working yeah. in the HR team. And then of course, when it comes to SMEs, often they maybe only have one HR person, or sometimes they don't even have an HR person at all. And you might be dealing with the owner yeah. or the finance director or somebody like that. But uh, again, I you know, having my had my career in the corporate world, it was actually really refreshing working with SMEs because um You know, they're so grateful for everything you do for them. And when you've been in big sort of footsie corporates, um, it all gets a bit, it can get a bit political. And people are so busy climbing the greasy pole and you, you don't get thanked very often for what you do. Whereas SMEs, you know, they're really, really great. I remember my very first client as an independent was a friend that I'd met through having the children. And she'd set up her own business. And she um, asked me to put in place just basic stuff around contracts, policies, procedures. And, and when I'd done all of that, she came back to me. and She said, oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. She said, do you know what the best thing is, Ruth? And I was like, what? What is it? And she went, it's the holiday booking form. I <laughs> 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 oh, that's not what I expected her to say. But do you know what? It was just nice to have direct thanks like that. Yeah. And that's been my experience over the last 10 years is, is actually, you know, working with SMEs can be really rewarding. Um, and I think quite a lot of independent HR consultants end up working with SMEs because yes. there's a massive need out there. You know, they don't, they don't know HR. They they more often than not don't have an HR person. Um, and if they're growing and expanding, they need somebody that can guide them, but they probably can't afford to have somebody full-time in the house doing it. So yeah. it's that flexibility that they want. So um, there's such a lot that we as independents can do to to support that, that sector. And, of course, that sector is massive, isn't it? You know, that's yeah. over 90% of the businesses in the UK are SMEs.
1: And, and, there's, and there's, you almost have more... You have some real people issues, I think, in, in SMEs as well, because sometimes the cultures aren't as established. let's say, as a yeah. you know, as a large corporate where people know how to behave. So there's all sorts can go on, isn't there, that you can get involved with. I'm sure.
2: Yeah. In, yeah, in terms yeah. of your
1: reflections, things like, so you've done SMEs and you've done retail and um, hospitality, such a range of industries. Would you say there's any themes or um, any sort of differences in terms of being an HR professional in those different industries?
2: Well. When I speak to HR people that are perhaps earlier on in their career, I always say, if you can, try and change sector. Because whilst the employment law, of course, always stays the same, regardless of where you're working, um, or, you know, the GP legislation, um, whatever you might be dealing with, you will learn something from every sector that you work in. And I just base that on my personal experience, is that, you know, um, I feel that by changing sector, I've learned more perhaps than I would have done if I had just stayed in in one sector. Um, So I always encourage people to to do that because um, a lot of the HR skills you, you learn, yes, they do apply across all sectors, but each sector and of course each individual company has its own culture and its own way of doing things and you will learn so much from that side of things as well as the HRP so I think it's a really good thing to do if you
1: can. Yeah I mean because I, I, I experience that working with different sectors so, and so it, it is interesting how culturally um I suppose the approach to people management can, can really differ uh, so you talked about financial services and, and I find that I would my perception of financial services for example was it was quite I'd expected it to be quite sophisticated um, yeah, I think because yeah. it's rich and actually I couldn't be more wrong in terms of the people mm. processes there so yeah. uh, it is interesting um, how how things do differ obviously you can buck the trend as well so yeah. i think just um, going back to your it, you you thought about yourself you said you you would advise your younger self to change sectors and and you know the change you've done definitely have, giving you that really rich background and probably confidence as well then to be able to set up on your own because you've you've experienced so much that definitely helps did you you did your CIPD didn't you in in, um, next early on would would you say that was a useful did that sound in good stead do you recommend that so
2: I do um, and I think the earlier you can do that in your career the better because I did it I literally had graduated and then the next year I was at De Montfort University doing that part-time two evenings a week over two years Um, and that was good for me because I was young I'd only just finished doing a degree so I was still in that kind of that study mode anyway Um, and I didn't have any massive commitments so two evenings a week I could do that and I could fit it my job wasn't a massive job you know I could fit it around being I started off as an HR administrator and then an HR that was feasible I think when you're trying to do it later on in your career then you've probably learned HR through the kind of the school of life, you know, Yes. you've, you've learned it through experience. And then I think, I'm not sure if that had been me, whether I'd have got as much value from, yes. from that qualification as I did when I was, you know, starting out. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's quite a good one to get in the bag, basically, at the right time. I, I think it's it? a
2: door opener. It's a bit like, you know, when you advise people on their CVs and you sort of say, look, Obviously, you've got to do the interview, but to get the interview, your CV has to be good. And there's certain things that will always stand you in good stead on your CV. And in the world of HR, having the CIPD qualification is definitely one of those things.
1: Yeah. So, are there any regrets? Is there anything you change about your career looking back on it?
2: I don't think I don't think I would massively because I've you know. I've had a really good career in the corporate world um, and then I've kind of started this new career in the world of independence and I'm learning absolutely, in, in many ways, I've learned more in the last 10 years than I did the previous years when I was working in the corporate world because the whole thing about running your own business and also working with SMEs and getting exposure to so many different types of businesses and companies I've learned absolutely masses and then the last six months in particular I feel like I've learned loads I think we're all in that yeah position aren't we where we've kind of it's accelerated absolutely. because for HR we've we've just had to to keep up with the speed of how thing how quickly things are changing. You
1: had to work out um, your own answers, haven't we? It's been, You know, yeah.
2: yeah. It's been, I mean, it's been crazy, but there's been so many positives, I think, that have come out of it as well.
1: Brilliant. And then finally, I mean, if you were to advise someone who's trying to get into HR themselves now, I mean, you were fortunate enough to get in through to be offered to a job after a week's work experience is really fortunate, isn't it? Um, any tips that you've got for people who want to get into it or Start yeah, this
2: is something that I often get asked about because um, it is a difficult career to get into, to get your first foothold into. Um, and so I think you've got to use, and now with social media, networking is a lot easier than, than it was for, for me all those years ago. So I think you've got to really nurture your networks and your contacts um, and don't be afraid to ask. Um, if you don't ask, you don't get. You know, So little cheeky requests, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, And I think if you can get a little bit of work experience or an internship, even if it's a bit of unpaid um, work experience, then that's something you can put on your CV. Um, And I think thinking about, you know, all the transferable skills that will stand you in good stead. So in HR, you know, good communication skills, good organisational skills. Um, good emotional intelligence, influencing skills—all of those sorts of things will stand you in good stead. And it's trying to find ways of positioning that on your CV um, and get a bit of work experience and exposure. Do ask to do work shadowing, ask to do an internship, do those sorts of things, perhaps unpaid, because you never know—you know what that might lead to. Yeah. And I, you know, you you mentioned. Um, HR Ninjas earlier I mean now fantastically there are these amazing groups on on Facebook um, and HR Ninjas is by far and away uh, the biggest it's got over 9000 members now and I I always mention that to people because Mm. it's such a valuable source of information and support
1: and you see people getting jobs through it don't you through the reference
2: absolutely people are so supportive Mm. and collaborative on there and that's that's something that when I started out 10 years ago I thought I, I, I asked to speak to lots of people that were already HR consultants and I thought well, will they speak to me mm. will, will they mind having a coffee with me if I ask them and um, they all agreed without fault and they were all so supportive and that's just the nature of I think people that work in HR is we want to help each other.
1: Yeah, and I really advocate that whole point about the networking thing. Certainly, I remember when I was in corporate, it's almost like you just stayed within your bubble within the corporate rather than networking externally. And you're missing out on a lot of that breadth of experience from other industries and other um, skills as well. So it's definitely worthwhile, you know, keeping your LinkedIn or your your communities updated and actually reaching out with people virtually because it's easy to do now as well. um, I was going to say, those
2: things didn't exist before, did they? But LinkedIn and, and Facebook, um, and, and other such things really, really help mm-hmm. with all that stuff. Yeah. And I, I also run a few – I've got um, three different sort of HR – I suppose you would kind of call them networking groups that yeah. I run as well. Um, so I've got a Chilterns HR and a Decorum HR and then a Hertfordshire HR Indies group that I run. And that's – again, is that's just allowing people to come together. Now it's really easy over Zoom because people mm-hmm. can just hop on when they want to. Um, and just sharing expertise, sharing ideas, sharing problems, getting second opinions, all of that good stuff. Um, there's, there's a lot of support out there for people and it's just finding, just finding your tribe it. and your people and, yeah. and there'll be people that are really willing to help.
1: Absolutely. And actually, that's a really good place to um, close with Ruth, maybe for you to share your details. So if people want to get hold of you, particularly people in those areas, so they might not know about your networking groups and be able to sign up to them. Do you want, how would people get hold of you if they wanted yeah, to? Yeah,
2: so the, the easiest way to find me is on LinkedIn. Um, so just search for Ruth George on LinkedIn and you'll find me there. Um, my website as well, which is ruthgeorge.com um, and my email is ruth at ruthgeorge.com. So it's all very straightforward. Well oh, done for getting yeah.
1: your domain. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah, so excellent. yeah, no, it'd be lovely to hear from people and, and, and I know you've you've been along to quite a few of the Hertfordshire Indies groups, haven't you, Liz And the, and everybody is really welcoming yeah. and shares their expertise. And everyone's got different nuances and different areas of expertise. So if if somebody wants to talk about a particular particular subject, you know, there's an opportunity for them to do that and raise Absolutely. it so far.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's great. Brilliant. Well, I think that's that's a fantastic place to end. And uh, thank you so much, Ruth, for coming on and sharing your real life HR story. Um, look forward to putting it out there. Thank you. Thanks for
2: having me.
0: Thank you for listening to The HR Uprising. Proudly brought to you by Acta Software, the joined-up performance and talent management solution. You can access links to any of the information or resources mentioned in the show via the podcast page at www.hruprising.com. If you like what we do, please subscribe, tell your colleagues, and leave a review. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising.